I'll be honest with you this morning before I really get going. This is one of those ouch messages. And you say, that's right, Pastor Dan, I hope it's a big ouch for you. Well, I hope it is. I hope it is. But I want you to be aware ahead of time that, and those of you that passively are visiting today, I go expositionally through the word of God. I shy away from nothing, and I take it as it comes. But we are going to deal with some things today that I think might get a little close to home and hurt. I know they are for me every time I prepare a lesson, but I just want you to be prepared for that. As we go into John chapter 18, and now we've come to verse 28, let me give you some perspective, and I found it interesting the way even Pastor Chris, by the way, you should know this, he prepared his music, he prepared his statements this morning independently of me. We didn't converse on this at all, okay? We've entitled this morning's message, The Religious Leaders on Trial. And don't, for one moment, just to prepare you, think, oh, I'm not a religious leader. That ouch is not for me. Hold on to your hats. Okay? Where we are is, remember, the Lord Jesus Christ has been through his religious trials. We are on the day of his crucifixion, to get you ready. This is now the day of his crucifixion. His religious trials or trial has already been conducted between midnight and, let's say, approximately 6 a.m. The trial was totally illegal. We've already dealt with that. It's been concluded, and now the morning has arrived. Something else very significant happened, and we addressed that as we came upon it and dealt with that last week. And that was that while the Lord Jesus Christ was on trial, something else took place, and that was, in reality, Peter was on trial. Peter himself was put on trial. Well, in what way was Peter put on trial? Well, it was not a formal hearing, but we saw that, rather, his Christian faith was challenged. And as a believer, he was challenged, and as we all know, and most do know, he failed it miserably. He denied the Lord three times. And I try to encourage you with the reality that we all fail, and we do. And we need to realize as we look at others and we have high expectations of them, and when we fail, we need to understand they will fail. And just like with Peter, we saw that he went out and we wept bitterly. It was a true repentance. Jesus Christ had prayed that his faith would not fail. And it didn't. His faith didn't fail. He failed temporarily. And we need to realize, let me reiterate last week, that while we all fail, there needs to be forgiveness. God grants forgiveness. Sometimes one of the most difficult things for us is to forgive one another. But we need to realize that failure will come. And when you're raising children, realize they will fail. Be ready to forgive. And then... Amazingly, and we haven't gotten to John 21 yet, but I gave you some preliminary information to get ready for that. Not only did he fail and then get forgiven, but he's going to be used mightily of the Lord. His future was not done. So don't you ever fail and turn around and say, that's it, I can never be used. I'm sure that's the way he felt. But God used him greatly. Now, we've been through that. 
Now at this stage where we're learning and we're growing as we go through the gospel account, we are now coming to the point that Jesus is being brought to his civil trial. He's already been through the religious leaders. He now civilly is going. And so in our country, it would be now being brought to the civil government. So we understand that. So as we continue through chapter 18 and in chapter 19, we're moving into the time that he is going to go stand before Pilate and have the civil trial take place. The verdict has already been determined. Keep your finger here. Go with me to Matthew 27, just to put the time frame on it again. We get it in the beginning of verse 28, but in Matthew 27, you'll see it a little bit clearer. And then appreciate even more what the, I hope, the leaders did here. But in Matthew chapter 27, just the first two verses, their verdict had already been brought religiously. And when morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people conferred together against Jesus, and here it is, to put him to death. They had already come up with capital punishment in the life of Jesus, even though everything they did was illegal. But they waited till morning because of defilement, as we'll see in a minute. And then they bound him, that is Jesus, and they led him away to be delivered or to deliver him to Pilate the governor. So that's where we are historically, and that's where we are in our time frame, that now they are satisfied, they've survived the evening, and remember this, we've learned this, that they really didn't have anything against him, but they charged him with blasphemy. That's the only thing they could come up with, because they couldn't line up witnesses against him that were consistent. So now they find that he's worthy of death, and they're bringing him to Pilate. But before, it's interesting, I told you, John is always presenting this to show you that Jesus is the Christ. And really before we get into, and John is the only one that does this, before we get into, at the length that he does, before we get into him standing before Pilate and being accused of being king of the Jews, etc., beginning in verse 33, something else very significant takes place. What is it? Well, in reality, and in my opinion, they will be put on trial. Now, they don't see this. Just like Peter didn't see that he was on trial all the time Jesus was before the religious leaders, his faith was being challenged. Well, they're bringing Jesus to go on civil trial, and in reality, they are going to be put on trial and exposed for who they really are. It's amazing. And let's begin by taking a look at, first of all, how the Lord exposes them and they are really put on trial as they go before Pilate. And as I put it in your outline, they have a misunderstanding of how they please God. And it becomes so obvious. Let me read verse 28. Then they, we already know who that is now. They led Jesus from Caiaphas, religious trials over, into the praetorium. And I'll talk about that later. And it was early. This is about, so we get it in the time frame, somewhere around 6 a.m. in the morning in that vicinity. And notice this. And they themselves did not enter into the praetorium. Why? He tells you. So that they would not, get this, be defiled, but might eat of the Passover. Talk about hypocrisy. 
Here are the religious leaders. And their hypocrisy is so obvious to us. And we want to stand up in arms and start throwing things at them, if you will. They have just conducted the most illegal trial that could have possibly been conducted of Jesus Christ. Let me remind you of this. They did not punish the false accusers. By the law of Moses, those who came in and falsely accused Jesus, it was their duty to judge them and give them the sentence that they were trying to give to Jesus. So every false accuser should have been put to death. They didn't do any of that. They beat Jesus. We saw that. Illegal. They physically hit him. As judges, they had no right whatsoever to do any of that. They tried him and moved him so to self-incrimination, totally against the law. That's how they came up with blasphemy, when he admitted that he was the Christ. So their actions have been absolutely, totally wrong, and now they don't want to defile themselves by entering into the physical presence so that they can observe the Passover? Are you kidding me? I thought in the reading that I did, the most condensed summary or the most brief statement that hit it right on the head I found was from Carson, and I'm going to read it to you. And I, I quote, The Jews take elaborate precautions to avoid ritual contamination in order to eat the Passover. At the very same time, they are busy manipulating the, the judicial system to secure the death of him who alone is the Passover. How ironic. They are being so careful about the outside of things so that they're not defiled so they can observe the Passover and the very Passover lamb of God is the one that they're manipulating to put to death. How hypocritical. How hypocritical. Their concern is what others may think of them. Their concern is the way they look to other people. Their concern is for changing things on the outside without ever dealing with the inside. They are the epitome of legalism. They literally, according to scripture, turn with me to Matthew chapter 7, are wolves in sheep's clothing. Turn with me to Matthew 7. Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 19. Beware of the false prophets 
watch this, who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. That's the picture we have in John. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles, are they? The answer is obviously no. So every good tree bears good fruit, and every bad tree bears fat, bad fruit. The good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, so then you will know them by their fruits. And you could know the religious leaders certainly by their fruits. They are literally wolves that are dressed in sheep's clothing. Their concern is with appearance. Turn with me to where our responsive reading was, the 23rd chapter of Matthew. Very scathing chapter, obviously. Here they are plotting the death of Jesus. We've seen that. And they're demanding of others what they never do. For we see that. Now we read responsively verses 13 forward. What I want you to see is the beginning of Matthew chapter 23. It says, Then Jesus spoke to the crowds and the disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves. Notice that, by the way. They seated themselves in the chariot of Moses. Therefore, all that they tell you, notice this, do it and observe it. Oftentimes, that point is missed. You ought to observe and do what you are told in the word of God. But do not do according to their deeds, for they say things and they do not do them. They tie heavy, heavy burdens and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move with them so much as a finger. Heavy burdens on people that they themselves cannot do. But they do all their deeds, why? To be noticed by men. Let me challenge you right now. Why do you do what you do? Is it so that people will notice you? So that you will get approval of men? They broaden their phylacteries. They lengthen their tassels of their garments. I've literally seen that. They look, excuse me, they love the place of honor at banquets, the chief seats in the synagogues, respectful greetings in the marketplaces. They love to be called rabbi by men, but that they not be called, by the way, this is one of the reasons I often get, uh, in, a, in a proper setting, should we call you reverend, don't you dare. That's what I usually say. I hate those titles. It's a, it's a legitimate legal title, but I hate that. There are some pastors that that's what they've got to be called. They've got to be called reverend. They've got to be called pastor. They've got to be called this. I understand respect, but we need to be careful. It says, do not call anyone on earth your father, for there is one father who is in heaven. Do not be called leaders, for there is one, there is your leader, that is Christ. You get the point. What is it? They were demanding things of others, listen carefully, in simplicity, that they themselves were not doing. They were hypocrites, easily seen easily spotted, and it would be very easy for us to look at them. What is a hypocrite? A hypocrite is one that appears to be one thing and is really another. We know that. That is what plays are all about, by the way. A play is playing a role of somebody that you're not. 
That's what Hollywood is all about. Actors and actresses, the movies you see, or the plays you see, or whatever you see, I'm not throwing rocks at that. What I'm saying to you is that is all a visual aid to you about not reality. Because the people play these parts, and then they're not that as an individual at all. It went back to the simple stage where people would use masks and so forth. And that's kind of what's behind the word. The opposite of that is soundness or integrity. What you see is what you get, to put it very simple. Now, we could stop the message today and not have any ouches and go home and say, you know, great, those Pharisees, wicked guys, horrible. Pastor Dan's a religious leader. He better open his ears to that one. I have. But hold on. It is very easy for us to sit here in pomp in the pew or to stand here and start pointing fingers. Isn't it very easy to turn around to politicians and say, bunch of hypocrites. Look at them all. There's no politician. Only if I was there. Yeah, right. Okay. But we can look at the politicians. It is very easy to look at anybody that's in a responsible position, who has authority, such as religious leaders. Very easy to look at the Pharisees and Sadducees. Very easy to look at church elders or deacons who are taking the brunt of the responsibility. It's very easy to point figures at them. It's very easy to turn around and to point fingers at others. And there may be some right in this midst right now saying, I hope so-and-so is listening to this message. Very easy to do that. I'll look at other families. It is very easy to look at parents and find all of their shortfalls and hypocrisy, or to look at children. It's very, very easy to point the finger at someone else. But let me hit a little home. Let me start, first of all, with the unbeliever, to make it a little easy for you for a few moments, those of you that trusted in Christ. It is so easy as an unbeliever, someone who's not trusted yet in Christ, to be, in reality, nothing more than an unsaved hypocrite. Why? To look at other people and say, well, I'm not as bad as that guy. I don't do drugs. I didn't commit murder. I'm okay. And never understand what sin is at all. That's hypocrisy. To be able to look at everybody else and what you're doing is building a system of law and works and in reality, maybe I'll get myself to feel better if I attend church. Maybe I'll get myself to feel better if I hang around with those who go to church. But that's not your real life at all. That's hypocrisy. And maybe we'll get a way that I'll only go to God when I need him. There are those who claim to be atheists, and I have witnessed this firsthand. And they want nothing to do with God until, until something physically goes wrong with them or they're in a desperate situation and all of a sudden they're praying and they don't even know how to pray anymore, but they're trying to pray and go to God. Why are you looking to go to God? He doesn't exist in your mind. All of a sudden they're faced with the reality of life. They wanted nothing to do with God all their life and now they're crying, God, just get me out of this situation. 
They start to burn candles. They start to get involved in rituals. They may even start to read their Bible. They may even start to try harder. And what they're doing is trying to change the outside. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15, for time's sake, beginning in verse 15. There was just a parable given by the Lord, and he wants explanation. Here it is. Peter said to him, explain the parable to us. Jesus said, are you still lacking in understanding also? Now watch. Do you not understand that everything that goes into the stomach, or excuse me, into the mouth, passes into the stomach and is eliminated? Biology 101. Anatomy 101, right? Not very comfortable. We understand it very vividly. Okay? Now watch. But the things that proceed out of the mouth, out of the mouth, come from the what? The heart. Okay, what's that? It is that that defiles the man, or those that defile the man. Why? For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murders. Yeah, you don't go out and shoot someone. Oh, I hate that person. What do you think that is? Adulteries. Oh, I've never committed adultery. How much porn have you been involved with? Oh, you know, fornications and your thoughts, thefts. Really? False witnesses, slanders. These are the things that defile a man. But to eat with unwashed hands, they were concerned, see that? Unwashed hands, you better wash your hands, you didn't wash your hands. I see that today. You know, oh, there's people carrying it around in there. Oh, they touch that or not, you know, do it again. And, and I'm not trying to, honestly, I'm not trying to put that down, but they're so concerned about every little thing. And then you listen to them talk and watch the defilement come out of their mouth. And they hate people. And they're talking about this one. And they're talking about having an affair with somebody else and so forth and so on and it goes. And in their heart, oh, boy, I wish I had that. While this person's going on vacation, I can't afford that covetousness, jealousy, envy. And you see, the unsaved begins to try to change the outside by a system of good works and things by going to church or by doing certain religious things that it takes. There are religions that are built on this that once a year, look at in my denomination that I grew up in, once a year, as long as I went to Mass on Christmas and Easter, and I said this certain prayer and went to confession once a year, everything went away. No, it didn't. Because this didn't go away. The heart. And that's what the unsaved doesn't see. That's why you need Jesus Christ. The hypocrisy is they don't want anything to do with God, and they think by trying to do something good, they can win favor with God. Let me just assure you this morning, the only one that can change the heart is God himself. We are all sinners and come short of the glory of God. That's why you need Jesus Christ. It's got nothing to do with Fellowship Bible Church. We just happen to be here to proclaim the word of God, and I will do that with all my energy and all my heart because I'm concerned for your soul. And if you haven't come to Christ, he's the only way on the authority of God's word, and you've got to trust in him. It's not religion. It's not doing good works. That'll never change the inward. God changes man from the inside out. Man's heart has to be changed. The only one that can do it is God. 
And if you haven't trusted in Christ, you will never be able to change your heart. You will never be able to take care of all the sins that you've committed inwardly, let alone outwardly. And to try to do it is just hypocrisy. And let me say this out loud. All of us are hypocrites to some degree. I am and so are you. You say, Phew. we're getting near the end of the message. Hold on. Now let's start dealing with professing Christians. We are filled with hypocrisy. Let me start with parents, and I'm a parent. We sometimes are the biggest hypocrites of all. We are telling our kids what we want them to do. We are telling our kids what they're supposed to do. We're telling our kids how they're supposed to walk like Christians, and our lives are an abomination sometimes. You say, what are you talking about? You're trying to raise the children in the home, and what do they witness? Parents yelling and screaming at one another. Parents who can't get along. Parents who show no patience while they're telling their kids to be patient. Parents who are telling their children, you need to grow up and you need to pray, and you never pray. Christian parents who are telling their children, read the word of God, and you're not reading it. Christian parents who all the time saying they want to honor God and then your children watch you where you go to questionable places you shouldn't be going. You're watching things you shouldn't be watching and telling them they can't watch certain things. Christian parents who are living by law and have no grace whatsoever with their children. Christian parents who are telling their children what things should be like. And then don't kid yourself. Your children are watching you, and all you're doing is complaining. Complaining about work, terrible work conditions. My boss is like this, my boss is that, and the children are saying, I thought my mom and dad, I, th I thought they were believers, and they told me I'm supposed to put, they're, they're, they're always complaining. Children who are watching parents go home and talk about the church leadership. Where they're supposed to be going to church because that's where, and all the, yeah, did you hear what the pastor said today? Wonder what this lunch is going to be like today. Did you hear what the pastor said today? Do you hear what the elders are doing now? Oh, this is going on. Do you think your children are not observing that in you? And saying to themselves, I want nothing to do with Christianity. My parents are hypocrites. They just haven't got the courage to tell you that. That's all. They see us complaining about everything. They see you trying to live by laws or put rules. And I'm not saying there's not a place for rules and standards. If you know me, I believe firmly in that. And if you're staying around for Proverbs, I'm going to tell you right now, because most of you aren't here for Proverbs at, at Sunday nights. It is absolutely impossible to train someone without standards. And you will see, those of you that will be here for the study of the book of Proverbs, if there is not discipline in your child's life, you have kidded yourself. They are not prepared for the future. 
and all you'll see that in your home, you produce somebody you're happy with, but in society they can't function because they haven't been disciplined the right way. The hypocrisy that's there. And even in our own church, if we want to be honest, there's many first-generation first Christians. We're so thankful for what we came out of, but how much of that have you carried into Christianity? And you're trying to live law just like you lived before. And you're trying to impose that on your children and there's no grace. And they can't move or budge. It's hypocrisy. Things that are being added to the scriptures that really aren't there. That's what the Pharisees and Sadducees were doing. The Lord had to come along. That's why you've got people today that have so much available to them, folks. Listen. That they can study the scriptures better than you because they know how to handle the technology that you don't know how to handle, adults. I'm including myself. And they can get around and check the Hebrew and Greek quicker than you can and quicker than I can get it out of my mouth. And they're turning around and saying, I don't see where the scriptures say that. Oh, yeah, well, that's what our traditions have always said. Well, Mom, Dad, can you tell me? Oh, well, no, you just got to believe it. Really? Really? The hypocrisy that's in Christianity? is amazing. And you know what results? That's why sometimes children come up in the home and they want to get out of Christianity. Why do they want to get out of the local church? Because that's what they've been trained at home by listening to their parents. That it's organized church that's wrong. They're listening to that. When God's design is for the local church. They're being told by others to serve. You're not serving. You're not praying. You don't think that they're not observing that? I can say this as a pastor because I end up counseling people. I see it. And then they want nothing to do with the family. They want nothing to do with Christianity. And what's happening, the Christ, they're really struggling. I don't know if I believe that, second generation. How could they not believe that? Because they haven't seen it in you. They haven't seen it in a husband and wife relationship that you supposedly are Christians living it? And they don't think it's real in your life. And as I said, they haven't got the courage to turn around and say, Mom, Dad, you're a hypocrite. Because you'd go nuts if they did. It goes in every area. I see it today. You've heard me say this in the concept of the local church. Where does that come from? Parents. I don't see in Corinth. I don't see... In Galatia, I don't see in Ephesus, I don't see in Philadelphia where any one of them were told, you know what, go back home, check up the local church. But today's society is, let's go back to the home. We don't need the local church. They're all messed up. Where do you kids get there? Where do you think they're going to be the next generation? I've seen, and by the way, I'm not against the family, obviously. I'm not against homeschooling, so hold that thought in mind with the next thing you're going to hear. And I'm not against the, you know, those things at all. But there is so much emphasis on the home that right now everything's becoming a home church where the pastor is the, the father. And we can get along by that. Keep that up, folks. You know what happens? Eventually, the kids want out of the house. They have no concept of social life. They have no concept of what it's like to work. And you say, well, I got my social groups and so forth. Watch it. The concept is that everybody's wrong but you. We all have it. 
We all have it. My way's best. My family's the best. My thinking's the best. That's hypocrisy. Children, it affects every area of our life. Children, it's the same thing. Sometimes you get children that are in Christian schools, and they look down on those who are not in Christian schools. Cast them aside. You think people are going to want Christianity from you kids when you're behaving that way? The kids don't want to go to church. The kids are professing that they've trusted in Christ when they were four, five, six years old. You go onto their Facebook and see the way they're talking. You go into their lives and see the things that they're doing. And the reality is you can't believe any of it. Why? It's a facade. They don't want to hurt their parents by telling them they don't believe what you believe. We have many kids that are like that. They're struggling. They honestly don't know what they believe. But they're fearful because if their parents thought that they didn't believe, their parents would jump off a bridge. I'm only exaggerating. The point is there's a lot of struggles that are going on with individuals. There's a lot of struggles that are going on in our, in our life, and we're not honest about it. Christians are not perfect. But Christians, as we understand the word of God, they don't try to live something that they're not. If you're telling your kids to read the word of God and you're telling your kids to pray and you're not praying, that's hypocrisy. You better be doing it. They better be seeing it. When you're talking to them about how to forgive and how to get along with others, they better see you getting along with people at church. They better see you getting along with husband and wife. Not that you're perfect, not that you won't have arguments, but that they see that you can turn around and say, I'm sorry. You want your kids to say you're sorry and you don't say you're sorry? It's reality. And that's what it was. Here they're bringing Jesus Christ so that he'd be crucified. You say, how does this relate to the text? In every way, because the Pharisees and Sadducees didn't see what they were doing. They thought they were pleasing God. In fact, we've already learned, they thought by putting Christ to death, they were going to appease God. And Jesus Christ warned them, the day is going to come to his apostles when they will be thinking they're satisfying God by beating you. People can think they're satisfying God and their lives aren't at all. We need to yield more to the Spirit of God. We need to be honest more. We need to be more involved in our own Christian walk and not so busy. So busy we don't have time for the things of God. We don't have time for being involved. And all we always, I don't care who it is, whether it's me or it's you, We'll always justify what we're doing. What God wants us to do is take a good look at our heart and be honest. And say, you know, there are areas in my life. I'm hypocritical with my wife. I'm hypocritical with my kids. I'm hypocritical with my parents. I'm hypocritical with one another. I am really trying to live by law. There's no grace. I'm the only one that's right. I'm the spiritual one. You know? That's in the area, and you know I'm going to get real sticky? That goes into the area of music. That goes into the area of finances. That goes into the area of dress. And there's both sides. There's ones that think they're more spiritual because they sing certain songs. They think they're more spiritual because they dress a certain way. They think they're more spiritual because they do certain things. And there's those on the other side of the coin. 
who are bigger hypocrites that turn around and say, I don't need to dress that way, and I'm going to prove it to you. That's hypocrisy. Or I am not going to sing those songs. I'm going to sing only my songs because they're spiritual. Or I'm going to do this with finances and that. They're both hypocritical. The humble heart before God just admits, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, first of all. God, I need thy spirit to guide me. And just like Paul did, the things I want to do, God, I'm not able to do. The things that I know I should do, I don't do. And back and forth he goes, thanks be to God who gives me the victory. I need your spirit to be working in me. Oh, help me not to walk that way. One of the reasons I want you to know personally that I left before I got saved, Roman Catholicism, because a church not too far from here, I went into Sunday, and that's what I saw. I saw people who sang, and they had special music. It happened to be a midnight mass at the time. That was the last time. And I remembered it, and everything was, and everybody was exalting, and they couldn't wait to get out of the parking lot and cut people off and get out of there. And I knew some of their lives, and I looked at my lives and said, it's, this, isn't, this is a joke. Don't let that be said of Christians. Parents are telling me what to do, and they don't do it. The leadership is telling me what to do, and they don't do it. And as I said to you, I was being honest. Every one of us fail. You can look at Pastor Dan. I have the responsibility to get in the pulpit, and I'm going to tell you ahead of time. There are things that I teach you that I don't do because I don't want to. No, because I fail, because I'm a hypocrite at times, not wanting to be. And God needs to get that out of my life. It's also true with you. And most of you sitting there will say, it's not me, it's the guy over there. My home's perfect. My spouse and I are ideal. I'm the cream of the crop. I hope for your benefit you really are. But I wonder what God sees. I wonder how you are in private. I wonder how your thought process is. You see? It's tough. That's a trial. To finish the text, they embarrassingly had no charges. Let me just finish it off. Go back to John chapter 18. So you see the hypocrisy? It's there. In John chapter 18 and verse 29 and 30, you notice this? Embarrassing lack of charges is the way I put it in Scripture. They had no accusation. They never had any. We've been learning that throughout John. They couldn't find anybody that could agree on what Jesus did wrong. Even the criminals, when Jesus was crucified, said there is nothing wrong. You want to check that out? It's Luke 23, verse 20, uh, 20, chapter 23, verse 41. Check it out on your own. The Roman centurion in Luke 23 said this man was innocent. Pilate's wife said, stay away from this innocent man. Pilate, we will learn later, will say, I find no fault in him. There was nothing that could be charged. So what do they come up with? As he says, what's the accusation? Because they, they just wanted Pilate to put him to death. And he says, well, what's the charge? What did they say? Nothing. If he were not an evildoer, what kind of speech is that? That's an assault on his character. That's really what it is. There's no charge. He says he's an evildoer. That Pastor Dan, he's an evildoer. Well, what's the violation? I was really saddened. I try to be very careful with this, but I'm letting you know my heart. Some of you know C.J. Mahaney. 
you know, might know that name. He wrote one of, the, one of the simplest books that was a help to me on humility. And he's uh, of a charismatic nature and so forth, but I love the man. The man loves the Lord. And it was sad, for those of you that already know about the story, he was basically step, he stepped down from being president of an organization because one particular man charged him with being, here it is, deceitful and arrogant. No accusations. No real charges. They couldn't charge him with adultery. They couldn't charge him with anything. And, but this guy was out to destroy the guy, and Mahaney stepped down. He had the courage to do that until everybody got up in arms. And basically, to let you know right now, he's going to be reinstated, and he's going to be there for a little while because he wants to get back to pastoring. But people were ready to destroy that man's whole ministry over the fact that they didn't have any accusations. They just were attacking his character. Oh, how vicious we can be as believers. A man that's influenced so many lives in a positive direction, though I wouldn't agree with all of his theology. Just how far will we go to get our way? They went so far that they didn't have a single accusation, and all they could say is he was an evildoer because they wanted to get their way. And you know the end of the story. They will. They can't wait till he's crucified. And they won't stop at any length until they get it while they don't want to be defiled. I can't go over that line because I can't take the Passover. How far will we go to destroy someone's reputation, to destroy someone's ministry, to get our own way at whatever expense. Their self-imposing objectives, verses 31 and 32, all along, all they wanted was death. Pilate says to them, take him yourselves and judge him according to your law. Why? All they had was blasphemy. They could have stoned him. That's the only thing that they were allowed to do. If it was according to a religious problem, then the government allowed them to take care of that, and they could have taken them out. In fact, if you remember the story, remember the woman that was taken in adultery? They could have stoned her, and the government would allow for that because it's a religious issue. They would never put somebody to death for, the, for adultery, not in that government, not at all. But they were very careful that these religious leaders were under them, and so he's saying, basically, in verse 31, well, you take him. It's your law. It's got nothing to do with it. There's no violation. I don't see anything. You haven't got anything to accuse him of. By the way, I couldn't help it, but I thought of the, the Proverbs because I'm studying that area. This is the example of, ask, of, of uh, responding to a fool according to his folly. That's what it means. Answer a fool according to his folly. They said, I haven't got any accusation. Uh, he's basically an evildoer. What's the answer to that? Well, then go take care of him yourself. Can't do that. But there's a, a, a deeper thing here. Jews said, we're not permitted to put him to death. They weren't looking for stoning. And the reason you've got verse 32, in case you're wondering why it's signifying that, if they took him out and stoned him, you don't have a crucifixion. You don't have a Messiah dying the way he had to die. And all the time, Jesus is just standing there, letting 
the sovereignty of God rule. While others are manipulating. The fulfillment was that he would be crucified, not stoned. So here you've got religious leaders. Here you've got religious men. How do you turn this into a positive ending, Pastor Dan? Well, you have a situation where these people were hypocrites, but they didn't change. They took it right to the cross. They're going to take it that way, all the while thinking they're pleasing God. Now you know why I say to you one of the most frightening passages of Scripture is this one, which happened to be one of the favorites of Mr. Pavo, whose funeral I just recently had. One of his favorite passages of Scripture was, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of God. That's an unusual verse for someone to have as a favorite verse. There are going to be many people that say, wasn't I religious on the outside? Didn't I do these things? Didn't I make a profession of faith? And the Lord's going to say, I never knew you. No reality. That was a mask. That was a false front. There was nothing in here. The heart was never changed. Don't you let that be you. These religious leaders were convinced they were pleasing God. And their lives were so far and their hearts so far away from God. If you haven't come to Christ, come to Jesus Christ today. There's no guarantee you'll have tomorrow. And if you're a believer today, genuinely saved, but you can at least be honest with your heart, you know, just to bring it to the family, you know, as husband and wife, as mother and dad, I haven't been setting the example I've been asking my kids to do. Or I've really been trying to live by law even as a Christian. I'm not letting the Spirit of God take over. I'm not letting him change me the way he needs to be changed, the way I need to be changed. Then what do you do? Go before the Lord, and the positive is, the Lord will pick you up. When we're humble enough to come to him and say, God, my life is not what it should be, and be open and honest with your spouse, be open and honest with your children, and children, be open and honest with your parents. And let's get back to the consistency of letting God work. Don't we try to change our children, let God change them. Don't we try to change our spouse? How many spouses wouldn't like to have their husbands or their wives change the way they want them? Let God do that. You just be the wife that you should be. You just be the husband that you should be. You worry about your walk. Be the parent you should be. Be the child you should be. Be the example. Put up with the criticism that the other people are given. It doesn't matter. Walk with God. Put on the armor of God. Let integrity be your guide in the sense of walk with integrity. And as much as lieth in us, let's have consistency before the Lord in what we say with our lips, in what we do with our lives. Because if you don't see the hypocrisy, others will. But God's desirous of picking us up, not dwelling on it in the past, but moving forward. And he'll take us forward, and then you know what? Your life truly will shine and attract others to Christ. You know, sometimes you might witness to a lot of people, you say, why don't they come? Because they're looking at you. And they're saying, well, that person's trying to get me convinced to trust in their Savior. They're always putting people down when they talk. They're always living a life that's a phony life. Let them see that which is genuine and that which is true.
Let's pray. Our Father in God, I can speak for no one else, but I know in my own life there's been hypocrisy. That which I've charged others, even my wife, my family, people in this congregation to do, I haven't been consistent in doing. And Father, as believers, we know that we're not perfect, but your desire is for us to yield to the Spirit of God and as we often sing, let you have your way. Let us put our all on the altar. Let us come before you and allow you to truly be Lord of our life. I pray that we would act the way we should act as true believers in Jesus Christ. Help us with that, Father. And I pray for those who don't know Christ. Help them to see it's easy to look at religious leaders. It's easy to look at others and see the hypocrisy because there's so much of it. But Father, even in their own lives, while they may not be professing Christians, while they may not want to do with God for now, we know the time comes that they'll be crying out either because of physical ailment or some problem. Help them to see that that's hypocrisy as well and that what you want is for a person to come to you, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved so that you can change them from the inside out. I thank you in our daily sanctification that with believers, you're continuously cleansing us, continuously changing us, and you're not done with us. Even as we saw in the illustration with the overhead today, help us to realize that we are but the clay, we are just the part that's being made, but you are the master, you are the owner, you are the one that's able to take us and mold us to what you want us to be. Help us just to yield so you can do that. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.